On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, it's Combine Week, and we are here in Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis as it is a full-on football convention with every coach, front office executive, agent, combine prospect, all here in attendance for the festivities at this week's NFL Combine in Indianapolis. On this week's podcast, we are joined by the world champion general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs, Brett Veach, who talks about when and how he knew that Patrick Mahomes was as special as he is. We're also joined by my friend, my colleague, ESPN analyst Field Yates, as we take a deep dive into the free agent quarterback frenzy that will include Tom Brady, Ryan Tannehill, and others, and we discuss what their futures could look like. I also want to remind you that Major League Baseball spring training is underway with opening day just around the corner. Make sure you're up to date on all your baseball news with the Baseball Tonight podcast. Download and subscribe to Baseball Tonight as well as the Adam Schefter podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But first, a word from ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring simple, fast, and smart, a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. You can even add screening questions to your job listing so you can filter candidates and focus on the best ones. And right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, my listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And now, the Chiefs World Champion, General Manager, Brett Veach. Brett, how has it been since you won the big game? It's been great. I mean, it's uh, certainly a surreal experience. Uh, I guess the one good thing is, um, you know, we were behind in, in our meetings being down in Miami for a full week. So um, I, I don't know if I had a chance to sit back like some of the players and coaches because our staff have been in the film room grinding. But um, we're certainly excited to be here as um, world champions and look forward to potentially defending that title next year. Now, am I correct to assume that you won the Super Bowl, you had the parade, and the very next day, without taking a day off, you and your front office staff we're back in the office that day yeah back at it again yeah, we, we um we got back monday tuesday was an organizational day wednesday the parade and then thursday at 7 a.m we were in there cranking um cranking on tape getting ready for the combine and we basically watched tape right up until we left for the combine so um it's been business as usual but it's certainly a different feel when you come in here um as as a team that just won a world title how is that when you say it's a different feel how do you feel that different feel how does it manifest itself yeah well that's that's a good question it's hard to explain but um you know, this league is, it's difficult to win games, uh, in this league, let alone, um, you know, go through a, um, a season where you, you win your fourth straight AFC division and an AFC championship and a Super Bowl. So, um, I think it's one of those deals where you feel that sense of all the hard work and all the long hours that it was, it was all worth it. And the problem is once you get a taste of it, um, you know, you need more. So I, I think that is certainly there to motivate us. And again, we're looking forward to getting this, uh, offseason underway. Didn't you say at the parade you'd be back for more? There'd be a second championship. Yeah. Didn't you was, say that? Actually, that was Coach that said. Oh, it was that, Andy Reid yeah, said it. Yeah. So does anybody Coach dropped say- the hammer. He came out and he said we'll be back here next year. So um, that that puts us all on alert, and we got to make sure we're up in our game. 
Who puts him in his place when the coach speaks out of line like that? Who, who, who's the one that says, what are you doing yeah. there, coach? Co- coach leads and we follow, and that's, that's been a good formula for all of us in Kansas City. So, um, But, you know, we listen, we know that you know we, uh, we'll have people gunning for us, but we're looking forward to it. Were you surprised to hear him say that at the parade? No, because, uh, you know, he has a lot of confidence in, in, in the organization from Clark Hunt all the way down to um, everyone in this building. So he knows that. We have talented players, and he knows that the coaches are going to coach the heck out of him, and his personnel staff is, is going to work hard and, and, and get him more more talent. But when you look back at that game and that week in Miami and everything that followed, is there one thing that you'll always remember that will always be a part of your thinking when you think back to that special time in the Chiefs organization's yeah, I mean, I, you know, just uh, getting a chance to embrace coach. And, and, you know, when you get on that field um, – that's really when it hits you like this is why you do what you do um to be on that field and to see everyone celebrate um and and to know that you've accomplished something that hadn't been done in 50 years and then to share that moment with someone as special as coach reed who is basically giving you every opportunity in this profession um it just it's an indescribable feeling but it's something that when you're on the field and the confetti's coming down and you realize you just accomplished everything you really set out uh, for at a young age, so I think just being there in the moment with coach and with the players and with your personnel staff and assistant coaches and just all knowing that everyone had a hand in this and that together we were able to win a world title is just uh, it's really indescribable. How was the after party? It was good. We, you know, we had pit bull, so it was a lot of fun. We had Mister Three Hundred Five in in uh, in uh, in Miami there, so uh, you can't go wrong there. Yeah, what's that like to have Mister Three Hundred Five in the Three Hundred Five? It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was so much fun, I don't remember half the night, right? Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. <laughs> what do you remember about that night? Um, I mean, listen, just a lot of, uh, a lot of excitement and a lot of, uh, a lot of celebrating. Now, one of the men that helped you win that Super Bowl title was Patrick Mahomes. And you were the first to say, and I believe you said this after he played his first game in Denver. So he's one game into his NFL career when you say he's the greatest player that you had ever seen. Yeah. What made you say that at that moment? Well, it's just um, it's really being you know true to who you are and what you what you see. I think that sometimes uh, you take for granted that we have the opportunity to to work uh, and be around you know the greatest football players in the world day in and day out. And you, you know you're privileged to work in this league for you know in my case over 12 years. Uh, again, sometimes you take for granted that you're seeing some of the best in the world, and all of a sudden this kid comes in. And this is right after we drafted him from the first rookie minicamp to the OTAs to the training camp. This kid just makes these unbelievably gifted players look average. And you realize, like, you, you really don't see that that often. Like, it takes a lot for someone to just make these talented players look like college players or look like high school players. But he steps on the field, and he has the innate ability every time he steps on the field to just be in total control. And this is when he was running with the third-team look team. I mean, just making our first-team defense look bad. Uh, that you knew once Coach Reed cut him loose that the league was going to be in for something special. You, you saw it. You believed in it. And um, that's why there was no hesitation when you go up there. And and you know what you see. You trust your eyes and you trust your, your gut. And with him, it was so obvious. I don't remember whether it was you or somebody else, but I was talking to somebody in your organization in Mexico City before the Monday night game. And somebody said that summer when Patrick Mahomes was a rookie that the – coaches or front office members used to hurry back yeah. to their dorm rooms yeah. to watch the tape of him with the third string offense because they couldn't believe what they were seeing from him yeah it was it was a unique phenomenon where you would go uh and every team during their training camp you know the practice ends and then you 
quickly get back to the the dorm or wherever you're staying, and you want to see what you have on both sides of the football. So naturally, you start off watching the first-team offense, yeah, seeing what you have, how you can get better than the first-team first defense. Um, and this is why you're able to make that statement You know, a year later. When he went through his first training camp, we would literally run back to the dorms and put on threes versus threes just because we had watched two or three throws that we've never seen before. But it was such an excitement to get back and see it on tape. And, you know, some of the throws, I mean, he's had some unbelievable plays um, at this level on primetime games. But there are some throws in camp that I still to this day have never seen and don't know how, you know, quite frankly, how he, he completed those throws. I mean, there's some stuff now in the archives that's just would blow your mind. Really? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. I mean, just, you know, uh, angles and, uh, you know, what he'd be able to, how he'd be able to manipulate, you know, his, his throwing platform. And um, I have a list on, on, um, on my iPad to show you sometimes. But there are some throws, no-look passes, behind-the-back passes. I mean, it's some crazy stuff. we got to wrap up here, but a couple of quick housekeeping questions. Yeah. When you win the Super Bowl, you get the rings, the trophies, the attention, the glory, everything. But you also get a lot of players who want more money. Can this team find a way to keep Sammy Watkins? Can it find a way to keep Chris Jones? How do you handle these decisions? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, you know, these are the type of questions that, you know, right out of the gate, um, you know that it's going to be difficult, but it's not impossible. And I think that this is uh, the cool part of where we're at right now. Um, you know, the, the league year hadn't started yet, but we're here at the Combine, and we're going to see all the agents, and we're going to have have good dialogue with our players. But, you know, when you win a Super Bowl and that hadn't been done in an organization for 50 years, you, you know, you realize that it took a special group to do that. So we're going to come out and we're going to try to re- retain and keep as many of these players as we can. We know it will be a difficult challenge, but we're certainly going to exhaust every option to keep um, keep those guys there. Hey, Brett, thanks for the time today. Congratulations on the World Championship. Awesome. And look forward to seeing all those throws you. one day. Anytime. Thank you very much. There's the Chiefs General Manager, Brett Veach. And now, ESPN NFL Insider, Field Yates. Field, we are about to embark upon what you, you have described as the most anticipated offseason ever. What makes you say that? Well, Adam, quarterbacks always drive the offseason narrative when they are available. And this year we have more quarterbacks available than I can ever recall. And there, uh, yes, Drew Brees has already stated his intentions to return to the Saints. But there was a point prior to that announcement when the pending free agent quarterbacks, as in players whose Current contract expired on March 18th at 4 p.m. Eastern time, had a combined 39 Pro Bowl selections Mm. to their name. The next closest class of previous free agent quarterbacks was just 23, and that's a credit to our stats and information group at ESPN for digging that number up. And what it told me was, yes, there were some excellent high-profile quarterbacks that just on their own, Drew Brees and Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers, accounted for a lot of those Pro Bowls. But it's not just that. We've got quarterbacks that are young, quarterbacks that are potentially still in the midst of their prime. And with Brady and Breeze playing into their 40s, we're reminded, Adam, that an investment in a quarterback like, like I'm sure it will come up a lot, Ryan Tannehill, who has been playing since 2012, like that could still be a 10-year investment for NFL teams. So, so many dominoes to fall just at the quarterback spot. And once the initial dominoes fall, there's a whole subsequent set of dominoes. So if Tom Brady were to end up in Las Vegas, for example, you have a player like Derek Carr who ostensibly will be available. So there's so many wrinkles to it. 
that I think this really is shaping up to be the biggest quarterback carousel we've ever seen. And we're going to get to Tom Brady in a moment because there's no way you could have any podcast these days leading into free agency and not bring up Tom Brady and where he might end up. But before we go there, I want to let the audience know, of course, you spent two seasons with the Chiefs and you interned for four summers with the Patriots front office. So you've got an idea of how these organizations think if you were still with the Patriots or Chiefs today and you had a voice in that organization which is the quarterback that you would want your organization to pursue well for the Patriots uh, so I'm assuming are you saying Adam like I'm just saying generally speaking generally speaking field you you're working for a team blank team okay having worked you worked for the Patriots you worked for these I'm not saying it's those teams you're working for a team okay you want to fill your quarterback need what are you doing yeah, I think my first call, if I'm anywhere close to being ready, is to Tom Brady. Understanding that Tom has stated his intentions to play until 45, so you know by his own admission the shelf life is probably three more seasons at most. Um, but we know that the best football of Tom's career is likely behind him, but we're two seasons removed from him being an integral part of a team winning the Super Bowl. And the Patriots have set such a ridiculously high standard, Adam, that this past year feels like a massive disappointment. And they won 12 games. They entered Week 17 with a chance to enter or to secure the number two seed in the AFC and a first-round bye again. So Tom Brady, to me, should be at the top of the list. But my next option, Adam, assuming I'm not in a position to draft someone like a Joe Burrow or potentially a Tua, weirdly, just because of how far uh, or how much things have changed in the past year, would be Ryan Tannehill. Um, I was doing some scribbling of notes prior to the podcast of quarterbacks that are available right now as in going to be free agents, and then quarterbacks that, if their team makes a move, would become available. Somebody like, for example, Derek Carr, who I just mentioned. And I think there's a case for Ryan Tannehill as the best long-term investment. Now, there's some trepidation. And by the way, I'm crossing off a Dak Prescott in this exercise. There's some trepidation with Ryan Tannehill. Crossing off Dak because you don't believe he's going to be leaving Dallas or crossing him off because why? Uh, Because I think he's down for the franchise tag. It just feels like there's been too much reporting to that degree. And um, teams are always going to be protective, especially when they should be, of homegrown assets. And I I think uh, we can work out the long-term side of it, but I I don't buy the – any notion, if there is one, that Dak will become Agreed. available for even Agreed. Agreed. So back um, to Ryan Tannehill. So Ryan Tannehill. There is some trepidation because two factors. One, uh, there is an injury history there. Uh, it, just two years ago, I, I remember uh, Labor Day weekend, you reporting on Jay Cutler unretiring from the broadcast booth and signing a deal to return to Miami and uh, or return to the NFL to play for Miami after Ryan Tannehill tore his knee. He's had prior injuries to that. And then, Adam, um, obviously his, his career in Miami, there's a reason why he was available in a trade last year. And it wasn't just because they were uh, – it may, may have been motivated by the fact that they were entering what has been a teardown and rebuild, but it was also because of inconsistent play from Ryan prior to that season. Um, but quarterback, more than any position, perhaps in sports, Adam, is in many cases a byproduct of context. Players like Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady uh, and Drew Brees maybe – perhaps the uh, the guys that could sort of buck that rule. But quarterback play in context is so important. And I think that for many of the years that Ryan Tannehill was 
the starter for Miami a couple of things. First of all, I don't think the resources around him were ever amongst the best in the game. I don't think we ever said to ourselves, wow, what an impressive set of weapons the Dolphins have. He also played for the Dolphins during a time when the Patriots were still, and I guess you could say they still are, running around over and through the rest of the division. Like, they're battling for second. We think about athletes individually that never win championships, and a lot of times it's because of the buzzsaw around them. I think that Ryan, uh, during his time in Miami, while there are some solid numbers when you look at them in totality, were never blow you away, in part because of the context surrounding him, I think the uh, division he played in, and certainly some of his own play. I don't take him off the hook entirely, but um, he's 31 years old. Uh, I understand that that might sound at other positions like an ancient NFL player, like a running back, but I think a five-year investment. Prime of his yep. career at 31. And I think Ryan Tannehill, if he's tagged, obviously, it's, it, and we'll see. I think, to me, that's really one of the big tells. I don't um, believe he's going to get tagged. I don't believe he's really, going to get tagged. Really, it would be. Yeah. Now, we'll see. We'll see. Yep. Uh, again, I'm not, I don't know that. That's just my sense of where it's going. Because I'll say this. If Ryan Tannehill were allowed to hit the market, who would the Titans be worried about going to sign Ryan Tannehill to a $24 million a year contract? I'm making this up, making up the number. I, I don't, sure. the franchise numbers. Who, who are you worried about going to give Ryan Tannehill that kind of money? The, I think, and I, I made a list of teams that I think are, yes, obviously shopping for a starter, maybe shopping for a quarterback upgrade of some sort, and then a couple of wild cards. And I'm looking at my list of obvious yeses, mm-hmm. and I think, Adam, the only way that you could envision a team pursuing one ardently, uh, Ryan Tannehill ardently would be, and again, I don't, I don't, and I don't have any suggestions that these teams are interested in, but like if the Patriots lose out on Tom Brady, we have no idea as of yet what they're, what their next plan is, their contingency plan. Um, are the Chargers interested in investing in a veteran quarterback this offseason? Or are they saying, listen, we'll tether ourselves to Tyrod Taylor for a year yeah, and maybe th- draft a quarterback? I think that's the plan right now, and we'll yeah. see, unless they get Tom Brady, maybe. Yep. And then the Buccaneers, which I know you've been sharp on this, Adam, in that you know they're studying quarterbacks. This is not as simple as we've got a player that started for us for five years, and we can – you know, we can just run it back with Jameis. You know, they're doing their homework. I think that, that's, that should yeah. be known by now that they are a team that's interesting. They have the fewest cap commitments for 2020 as things stand right at this moment. But that'll change. They've got some notable free agents, and not just Jameis Winston, but also Shaq Barrett being amongst the most important names. They would be kind of a wild card. But, again, I don't have any knowledge that um, Bruce Arians and Jason Light, the head coach and GM in Tampa Bay, are very interested. So it's, a, it's an important point you make, Adam, is that uh, who are the Titans putting the franchise tag on Ryan Tannehill to protect against? And, and the answer that, is maybe nobody. And, and, and that's why I come back to my initial statement of my sense is that he doesn't get the franchise tag. And if you do franchise Ryan Tannehill, then that takes you out of the Tom Brady sweepstakes. Yep. So by franchising Tannehill, you lose out on Brady. Now, I don't even know that they're going to get Brady. But right. if they're going to talk to him, make a play for him, have any sort of interest in him, using the franchise tag on Ryan Tannehill eliminates that. And if you're going to use the franchise tag, you're going to use it because you're blocking him from signing somewhere else. And I think there would be interest in Ryan Tannehill, but I don't see an obvious landing spot that they're going to have to worry about some team 
going to pay him what he will want on the open market. Again, great quarterback, and I go back to when he was in the same draft as Andrew Luck and RG3 and Nick Foles and Russell Wilson, and I know one organization that had Ryan Tannehill graded as the highest quarterback in that draft above Luck, above RG3, and teams loved him then, okay? So he's got some talent, he's got upside, but I don't know that he's got a huge, strong market this offseason, which is why my guess, and I say guess, would be that they don't tag him, the Titans, and they've got the ability to pursue Tannehill and or Brady. Yeah, and I think one of the really interesting storylines of this offseason, maybe the most important note to make on the quarterbacks, Adam, is it's incredibly uncommon that we reach the offseason and we put together a whiteboard of teams that need a quarterback Mm -hmm. and the quarterbacks that are potentially available and the number of available quarterbacks exceeds the number of teams with a quarterback need, which is why I keep telling people to prepare for someone or several of these quarterbacks that will be available to be disappointed. And I don't want that for the players, but somebody or multiple players are going to be the odd man out. Um, And whether it's, and, and whether it's a guy being the odd man out in the sense that, he views himself as a quarterback that deserves to make 30 million plus per year. And instead he settles for quite a bit less, or there's a player who's saying to himself, all right, I'm going to be a starter somewhere else next year. And then he ends up having to compete for the job at best. So I just think that it's rare where the supply outweighs the demand Mm -hmm. at the quarterback spot during the NFL off season, but that might be the case. And maybe if the draft, we live in a world where the draft were, uh, actually before free agency, things would change a little bit, Adam. But what's the motivation going to be for some of these teams that might be as of right now, whether you're a Miami or a Los Angeles Chargers, teams that are positioned and have some extra draft capital to move up if they need to, if they have their eyes set on a Tua or a Justin Herbert or one of the other quarterbacks that's not Joe Burrow and not bound for Cincinnati. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so let's let's get to the headliner. Tom Brady, you know the Patriots organization very well. What is your assessment today as we record this Monday, February 24th, about how this is going to play out? You know as well as anybody that a lot of times during the free agency period, which technically this year begins at 4 p.m. on March 18th, the legal negotiating window is noon of March 16th, that a lot of the deals that come together that week the wheels have been spinning, and perhaps you could even have a lean on where those deals would end up weeks or even, you know, maybe even months in advance. Mm-hmm. So we know, I think, that the possibility exists that Tom does leave New England this offseason. What I don't know, Adam, is that if Tom were to, uh, right now, if someone gave him some truth theorem um, and asked him candidly, and he was willing to go this far to say, what team would be his preferred location, if not New England, if he has a clear-cut front runner right now? I don't know that he does. I'm not, and it may be that he, he, he definitely does, and I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm not aware of that. But um, because we've heard nothing from Tom, and not that we've heard anything from a lot of the uh, free agent quarterbacks to be, but this is literally uncharted territories for a player mm-hmm. that's now been in the NFL for 20 years. He's never been an unrestricted free agent before, so – um, I think it is, you know, I, I live in New England. I still live in Boston, Adam, as you know, and um, 
buckle up is what I would tell Patriots fans and prepare yourself for anything. I think that while we are all trying to prescribe what should matter most to Tom Brady, and a lot of people locally will say, you know, wouldn't playing for the same team for your entire career and having the best chance to win matter more than anything else? And you can make a reason why that's pretty obviously the case. What's important to any of these players is not necessarily our business, Adam, right? If they want to go somewhere where they can make the most money, if they can go somewhere where they want to, uh, you know, they want a fresh start, if they can go, they can just keep continuity and they want to return to where they've been and, and they want the best chance to continue to build what they've started. That's their prerogative. So um, that's a very long roundabout way of saying that while I have introduced the possibility into my own mind that Tom Brady signs elsewhere, I have no strong lean on where Tom Brady is headed. And I wonder if Tom himself knows, even though we're now less than a month away from the start of free agency. I don't think he does. And what I also find very peculiar, as we tape this on Monday, February 24th, is that it's Monday, February 24th. And we haven't had any contract discussions to date between Tom Brady and the Patriots, none that I know about. And he set up his contract to be this way, and he commented to Jim Gray that he's quote-unquote open-minded about the free agent process and playing somewhere else. And so, again, if we're this late into the process and there's nothing going on with New England yet, and he's looking at the idea of visiting with other teams, what makes anybody think that he's going back to New England right now? Like, it was set up for him to leave, okay, to give him the option to leave. Yep. And here we are, and nothing has happened to change that to date. Now, I think the Patriots will have a certain price in mind, and I think he'll have some ideas in mind, and maybe there's so much history between the two sides, and if you're a Patriots fan who wants him to stay, this is what you're banking on, that they could just sit down and hammer this out rather quickly, which probably is true. But it just seems like it's been leading up to this all along. Yeah, it, it's been very, very unconventional, and I guess – you know, the fact that he's even a free agent is unique to us. So in some ways, I think, and I feel sort of odd describing this as, as a relationship, but this has struck me in a lot of ways, Adam, like a relationship. Not, and I understand that every player technically has a relationship with his team, but when Tom is making his final decision, whatever that decision is, if at some point he is leaning towards departing New England to go anywhere, He's going to have to, at some point, make the decision that he is comfortable walking away from what he has been an integral part of building and also all of the things that have become not just his football reality, but the only football reality he has ever known. And um, it's, he has every right to do And I, I would say that's one thing I want to urge people that as we get closer to free agency is that Whatever Tom Brady does, like, it's his choice and respect it. Like, it, it's going to be emotional for, for fans of franchises that want to sign him and certainly for Patriots fans if he leaves. Um, but it has been as eerily quiet in some ways. But I think I've heard people, the counterpoint being as simple as what you said, Adam, is that how hard is this going to be for the Patriots to offer Tom Brady and isn't aren't the Patriots unique than basically every other they're different than every other organization of football in a lot of ways. And they, in a lot of ways have been able to operate on their own timeline 
And that's played a huge part in a lot of their uh, player acquisitions in the past. And it may be that it is a part of what happens to Tom Brady. Maybe they've been saying to themselves, we often negotiate during the week of the NFL combine and the NFL combine begins on February 24th. And maybe this is the week that they kickstart yeah. some level of conversation with Tom Brady and his representation. Well, and you mentioned the fact that the Patriots make the timeline. They also make the price. They also make yep. the market. They establish the market. They, in their own minds, determine that there is a certain number that they believe a player is worth, and they're not really going to go above that. Now, maybe they may rise up if there's a certain player they really, really want. And as much as they'd like Tom Brady back, I believe that in their mind they have a certain number in mind, or whatever that number is. I don't think it's near as high as some people think it is. And I don't think it's near as high as has been floated out there. Okay? But they can have a number in mind in which they'd like to bring back Tom Brady. And if that works for Tom and it works for the Patriots, then great. They continue the relationship. And if not, that's where it gets interesting. And we have, I believe, one of the most, if not the most, recognizable, high-profile free agent signings in history. If we go back and look at the most notable ones, I think you think right away of Reggie White, of Peyton Manning. This would be right there with those free agent signings, right there. Tom Brady. I, I think it would be the most, right? Wouldn't it be the most unique because, uh, well, I think, you know, Reggie White's one of the greatest players ever, certainly one of the most dominant defensive ends ever. But that was at yeah. the infancy, really, of NFL free agency um, as we know it now. And in some ways, he's a trend center and a trailblazer in his move uh, from Philly to Green Bay. But with Peyton, because we knew the end, um, was likely inevitable. And because the Colts had such an obvious plan in place to replace Peyton with drafting Andrew Luck, it sort of softened the, softened the impact a little bit. Whereas if Tom Brady leaves New England, like I think, I don't, I don't know if the Patriots uh, are necessarily planning that Tom Brady is 100% back next year, Adam, but it certainly feels to me like, hey, their top plan going into this period of player acquisition is for Tom Brady to be their starting quarterback. If Tom agrees to a deal that both sides find to be amenable, if not, then we have no idea. I mean, if we're talking Jared Stidham, are they going to be interested in some of the quarterbacks that are available? Are they going to be one of the most active teams moving up in the draft? There are so many tentacles yeah. to this. And, and I don't think um, they know, but, Phil. I don't think they know right now what they're going to be doing yeah. if they lose Tom Brady. And I don't know if they know whether or not they're going to lose Tom Brady. Tom doesn't know what he's going to do, and that's why there's all this speculation now about what is going to happen with him and where he's going to go and what the fallout of that will be, And which is why you say it is the most significant free agent move that has ever been in NFL history. And I, I don't know. The Reggie White thing was hugely significant. Peyton Manning at that time was hugely significant. But but this in this day and age, with all the attention, with all the noise, with all the chatter— uh, they're probably it wouldn't feel like there ever had been a free agent move that had made more noise than this one is about to make, right? Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I, and I, I'm probably being a bit of a prisoner of the moments, but maybe in any sport that we've seen, at least in, in North America, in a long ooh, time, Adam, uh, ooh, you know, there's you know, certainly been. I go to been the some... NBA, NBA right away, and I think I of Durant, and I think of LeBron. I know, I know. I mean, I, I, and you're, I can't. I know, I, I and I know about there. those, but. But LeBron, it felt like uh, there was writing on the wall for Le for, with, with his departure to Miami. We don't have to get on too well, much. Well, there's writing on the wall here with Tom. Sure, sure. But I was going to say about LeBron is that when he when he wrote when the writing was on the wall to Miami, um, or at least to departing Cleveland the first time, 
the opportunity existed for him to return and still be in the prime of his career. And I think while uh, Cleveland fans would be so much happier with LeBron now, at least you could rest a little bit easier the second time he departed because they had just, you know, they had just won a championship uh, full season prior. So maybe, maybe I'm a little bit of a prisoner of the moment here, Adam, but um, it's, Put it this way. If it's not the most substantial, it's one of the most substantial in North American sports in quite some time. Well, I think we'd agree on that. It is one of the most high-profile free agents of all time. Um, Before I let you go, we have the Combine this week in Indianapolis. Give me, for all those people listening, you've got expertise in fantasy as well, a running back who's going to make fantasy noise in the NFL this year, a wide receiver who's going to make fantasy noise in the NFL this year, and a tight end. Like a guy, a few guys that are already on your fantasy radar, who will we, we should be watching in Indianapolis this week? That's a great question, you know, because doesn't it feel like this year's combine has been so dominated by quarterback talk, and specifically a quarterback that not, not obviously Joe Burrow, but also a quarterback that is facing a significant ish injury question mark in Tua Tagovailoa, whether he actually plays. Um, but let's go to the running backs first here, Adam and. What is great about fantasy football is that usually the guys that we're talking about right now as the top in the country can make a mark right away. And I know that I'm, I can live in the, in the treetops for a bit here and just point out, I think J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State has got an excellent chance to be an awesome first-year running back. Um, I don't think we have a Saquon Barkley-level prospect in this class. That's no news to anybody that's followed this at all closely, but J.K. Dobbins might be the best player at the running back position in this year's class. DeAndre Swift from Georgia is filling our annual quota of a Georgia running back, likely to go within the first probably 30 or so selections. And sometimes fantasy uh, is value is boosted because I'm just making this up here. But can you imagine if the Chiefs, who I think some people would believe, despite Damian Williams being incredible in the Super Bowl, probably could stand to beef up their running back depth. Like, could you imagine throwing any of these talented running backs? Clyde Edwards-Alaire, the incredible LSU running back, who's not just a factor as a runner, but also in the passing game. So good running back depth. There is outstanding wide receiver depth, Adam. As you know very well going into this week, it is one of the most important discussions. And I don't know that I can give you the player out of Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, Henry Ruggs, Justin Jefferson – um, T. Higgins, guys who are at the top of almost every draft expert's boards for wide receivers, which one has the most value? Because a lot of it's based on fit. But I think, you know, just sort of looking at mock drafts and putting too much time and effort into them, um, at least studying them, just feels like CeeDee Lamb might be the guy that just might be the most ready to compete uh, for immediate playing time and be a big factor. But all those guys check a lot of uh, a lot of the – uh, a lot of the boxes you need. And then I don't know that there is a tight end who right away um, is necessarily going to be a major impact. Because if you just look at tight ends uh, in fantasy amongst rookies over the past several years, it's just uncommon for a guy to be a major factor right away. I mean, Noah Fant came on a little bit for the Broncos at the end of this past year, but TJ Hawkinson had kind of an up and down season before he went on IR uh, for the Lions. Uh, and I would just – maybe a guy that actually is currently a wide receiver, Chase Claypool, who I know there's been some discussion. He's out of Notre Dame. Um, there's talk of him maybe becoming a tight end. Put on a little bit of weight. He's a big-bodied guy. They have their own uh, tight end prospect, Cole Kmet, who's considered by many the top 
uh, tight end prospect in this year's draft. So I don't know if there's an obvious tight end prospect, but those are some of the names to keep an eye on uh, this week uh, as we get ready for uh, the measurements and the on-field testing and the first year of primetime on-field testing. I think it's Thursday through Sunday night with the four nights everybody can watch uh, all the coverage of the combine. You brought up the Chiefs drafting a running back. Would that not be Scary. akin to what the Patriots did when they drafted Sony Michelle? Yep, sure would be. And not that, and I, Sony Michelle was disappointing in, in a lot of people's eyes this past season. But two years ago, Adam, in their playoff run, he had six rushing touchdowns. Um, he was a huge part of an offense that that postseason specifically had a plan in place in the championship game against the Chiefs, where to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. Sony Michelle, a huge part of it, and then in the Super Bowl again. Keep that high-octane Rams offense off the field. Sonny Michel, very good in the Super Bowl as well. Imagine Patrick Mahomes with one of those awesome running backs. Uh, they might just score 40 points a game next season. Hey, Field, I want to thank you for your time, for your insight. It's going to be an incredible month ahead between the Combine this week and the free agent adventures that follow the Combine this week. And I know that you'll be bringing us the latest on the uh, Fancy Focus podcast on ESPN and we'll look forward to spending some time together in Indianapolis. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. And there's Field 8. Special thanks to Field for taking some time out of his schedule here in Indianapolis to break down the free agent quarterback class. Special thanks to the Chiefs general manager, Brett Veach, for taking some time out of his schedule. And special thanks to you, the listener, for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we'll be joined by the guys from Pardon My Take, Big Cat, and PFT. So we have a little fun on next week's podcast. Until then, have a great week, everybody.